This is the Responsible Sports Podcast, presented by Liberty Mutual. Episode number 31, Jerry York. Responsible Sports is a program dedicated to supporting coaches and parents who help our children succeed on and off the field. Each episode, our host, Jim Thompson, Executive Director of Positive Coaching Alliance, will be joined by some of the most influential players and coaches to share their thoughts and experiences with responsible coaching and responsible sports parenting. In this episode, Jim talks with Boston College and 2012 NCAA Men's Hockey National Championship coach, Jerry York. Referees are going to make some mistakes, and what are you going to do about it? You can, I was a referee a long time ago when I first got out of college, and it's a hard sport, but I see some coaches get so out of whack with a, a call uh, uh, that I've really tried to learn from when I was coaching earlier about trying to stay calm, because your players will get excited too, and, and they'll start losing focus. Uh, our goal is to, you know, that next shift's the most important shift you're going to have. And uh, so I try to stay uh, poised and, and, and know what's going on during the, during the course of the game. Relying on over 40 years of coaching experience at the collegiate level, Jerry shares with Jim what makes a great coach, how to motivate and lead players, and how remaining calm on the bench has often given his team a winning edge. Jerry, I want to start off by introducing you to our audience. Jerry York is the head men's ice hockey coach at Boston College, where he just completed his 18th season and captured his fourth NCAA National Championship with BC and his fifth title overall. Jerry is one of only three coaches in NCAA history to lead two schools to an NCAA championship, the first with Bowling Green in 1984. Before his coaching career, Jerry was an extremely successful hockey player himself at BC. He was a three-year letterman as well as a team captain and MVP his senior year. He received the Walter Brown Award as the top American-born player in New England and was inducted into the BC Varsity Club Hall of Fame in 1982. After his career as a player, he began his coaching campaign as an assistant at Clarkson College before being offered the head coaching job there in 1972. He stayed for seven seasons, earning the Spencer Penrose Trophy for Division I Coach of the Year. He spent the next 15 years at Bowling Green, surprising the hockey world with his 1984 NCAA title. He returned to his alma mater in 1994, where over the course of the next 18 seasons, he would lead Boston College to 12 NCAA tournament appearances and four national titles in 2001, 2008, 2010, and 2012. Jerry is currently the winningest active coach in the NCAA and second on the all-time list. He and his wife, Bobby, have two children, Laura and Brendan. Jerry, thanks for joining the Responsible Sports audience and me today. Hey, Jim, I'm glad to. Uh, it's a rainy day here in Boston, and uh, so all the golf courses are closed, and I look forward to talking with you, Jim. <laughs> That's great. You know, uh, you were only 26, I believe, when you became the head coach at Clarkson. Uh, at that time, the, head, the youngest head coach in the nation, what do you know now about coaching that you wish you had known then? You know, I, I've I've thought about that once in a while, uh, Jim, over these years, and I, I think the best thing is is not to have uh, known what I know now, because I think you learn, uh, you know, how to handle uh, whether it's alumni or whether it's uh, players, whether it's uh, the student body, uh, and you just have to go through that process. Uh, I don't think uh, you can really. Uh, become a coach unless you've, you know, 
been in the battle and, and uh, learned from a lot of your mistakes. So I think the mistakes that I, I had earlier, look back on it, uh, probably uh, kept me in the game longer because I, I had to learn from it and I had to uh, say, geez, I better do this differently the next time. And so I think, uh, you know, looking back, uh, some of those areas that uh, wasn't nearly as proficient in as, as hopefully I am now, but uh, I was just a young, young kid at 26, and that was a, a good learning experience for me. You know, with with Positive Coaching Alliance and the responsible sports program that Liberty Mutual Insurance sponsors, uh, we, we look at mistakes as opportunities to learn. Um, it, was there a particular mistake you made back then that you learned something that stayed with you that you could mention? You know, think back, uh, you know, probably it, because of my age, uh, you know, I was 26. Some of the players was 20. 23, 24, uh, so it wasn't a heck of a lot of difference there in the age bracket. And uh, I, I probably thought I could have been a little more distant from them, but, you know, now it's just the opposite. I'm trying to <laughs> learn all their music and learn their, their uh, you know, what uh, a young 22-year-old player goes through now at college. But uh, back then, I think, uh, you know, we just had freshmen were just eligible to play varsity then. And, you know, we had some veterans uh before all the freshmen played freshman hockey, and then just the three sophomore, junior, seniors were eligible for the varsity, and th- that was my the first year I took over. Now all of a sudden the incoming players are eligible to play varsity, and I thought with our goaltending situation, uh, I might have given up a little too early with our, our some of our veterans that have been through the wars and and played a young freshman uh, goaltender. I remember his name George Galbraith, as a matter of fact, and uh, you know he was. He was Okay, but uh, uh, then he stumbled, and now we had to go back to one of the older players, and uh, that, that was something like probably might have stayed with the veteran a little bit longer. That would have been uh, something, and that's helped me now in my career now. That's great. You know, this past season, I think it was your 40th year as a head coach, which is quite a longevity. A lot of coaches get burned out. Um, how have you kept from burnout all these years? You know, never, I never felt uh, that it wasn't an exciting uh, occupation. I never felt that it was, uh, it was dull. It was, uh, I did this last year, I did this year before. I've always felt that, you know, each year <clears throat> you've got uh, a different team. You know, it's not like the professional where, you know, you have veterans for an awful long time. So as you lose your seniors, you're bringing in new freshmen. But not only that, your juniors now are your seniors, you know, so they have, they become uh, uh, their roles are completely different, and, and so I've always found it exciting and challenging that you know once one season ends, hey now what can we do next year to get better, or you know who's going to take this particular player's spot? So I think it's it's almost like the seasons of the year. It goes from you know fall to winter to spring. Everything changes, and uh, uh, so it's not status quo the whole time. Here, ho- hockey it changes. It's it's you know it's. It's one year, to, and then all of a sudden it's a completely different year the next year. And so I've always been excited. I think it's a, a terrific sport to coach, uh, uh, and the the players enjoy playing hockey when you put them in the best environment they can be in. That's great. By the way, congratulations on your recent NCAA championship this year. Um, you know, Chris Kreider, who's a junior on team this year, uh, you know, chose to skip his senior season and sign with the Rangers. Um, I think he's maybe the first player in NHL history whose first two goals were both game winners. Uh, so, you know, he went right from your team to making an impact in the 
NHL playoffs. Can you talk a little bit about Chris and how he made this decision and, uh, you know, that issue about staying in school versus leaving early to play pro sports? Any thoughts on that? Oh, sure. i got a lot of thoughts on that, Jim. Uh, you know, what Chris is doing is, is, is almost unfathomable to think about uh, stepping right off the college campus, <clears throat> not into an NHL game, but into an NHL playoff game, when, uh, you know, which, and, and not into just an average city, uh, which this is New York City, uh, you know, the, probably the largest media uh, city in the world as far as sports is concerned. And so his jump from, you know, the collegiate ranks into a, you know, really a, a boiling cauldron of water there with the Rangers and his ability to play very well there is it's a remarkable, uh, uh, not only athletic-wise, because, you know, that's certainly a, a big jump from college hockey, but to handle the media, like, uh, you know, just imagine our daily news, the Post, the Times, uh, you know, all descending on him that first day when he came in. And, and now put that, Jim, in perspective that he's taken the place of someone that's played all year, and the Rangers have had a terrific year. So he's got the chemistry in the locker room that he's uh, got to handle. And uh, from afar watching him, it, it's been a, a really uh, unusual situation but a young kid in. He just turned 21, so... He's handled it extremely well, and I think uh, if he goes on to win a Stanley Cup, which they very much are in contention right now, uh, I don't think that'll be a you know a unprecedented move for a college player to win a national championship that same spring, then go win a national, uh, win a Stanley Cup. So, and he's handled everything very well. I mean, the the attention. I was in Florida at a coaches convention. Coming home, I just happened to pick up a newspaper. It was the Daily News, and he was in the back page, a full-color picture of, and that's like 10 days after he left our campus. Uh, so it's been remarkable for him. Uh, you know, the other uh, aspect of your question about uh, college diplomas, uh, we, we always tell our players early when they come in the recruiting process that our goal here is that, you know, you'll leave here with a, a ring in one hand and a diploma in the other hand. I think that's that's something that really drives us and, uh, you know, players like, for example, Brian Johnson is the captain of the Montreal Canadiens. He has both. He has the ring and the diploma. And, uh, but now for Chris, you know, he's a remarkable student, and, and we'll still push him now. He has the ring, but to come back in the summer, I think he only has uh, four courses left. He was taking classes in the summer. So if they do leave early, and there's been a, a number of our players have done that, but we stay on top of him, and they want to – Okay, uh, have a diploma because they all understand that, you know, at 35 might be an old for an NHL player, but it's certainly young, uh, you know, a young adult looking to, you know, be employed for the next 30, 35 years. So uh, it's remarkable to see how many come back and get the degrees, you know, going through summer school. Well, it's also really, <clears throat> excuse me, also really good to know that you're keeping in touch with them and encouraging them to do that. That's great. Well, I think it's important. Corey Schneider is a, uh, one of our recent graduates, left after his junior year and uh, played goal this year for Vancouver Canucks, and he came back over three summers and graduated. So it's, it's pretty exciting when you see that happen. You know, um, you've done something really amazing. Three out of the last five years, your team has been the, the NCAA champion. Um, you know, one of the things college coaches uh, complain about a lot is having to recruit, but that's a essential part of, of putting together a great team. Talk about it, recruiting and what you look for in the kids you recruit. 
You know, it's, it's interesting, uh, the whole atmosphere of the recruiting. I, and you're not going to get everybody to come to BC and uh, you have to understand that someone's going to call and say, hey, I've decided to go to this particular school, that particular school. And uh, But I think going into the process, uh, you know, we try to fit our school with the player. You know, at, right now at Boston College, uh, there's some, the player has to understand there's some academic, you know, pressure on the player to, you know, compete in the classroom. There's also, uh, you know, there's, we're in a large media market, so there's pressure for from the newspapers, from the, the blogs, from, you know, uh, to, to do well in, uh, as a hockey player. So you can't come in just figuring I'm going to be an average student, uh, not pushed, or just be an average hockey player and don't really worry about championships. Uh, so we try to, you know, talk with the player, find out, hey, can you handle this situation? Can you come into a program that's, you're required to do some, there's some pretty good students sitting next year in class, so you have some peer pressure there to do well. And, and hockey, we've, we've got a terrific history, and we, we want to be very, very strong in hockey, so you've got to be able to handle that type of pressure. Uh, if you can do that, uh, you know, that's part of the process. And, uh, you know, we tell the player that about, I talked about the ring and the diploma, uh, but it's 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 trying to find that someone that's suitable for what we we want here, and there's uh, plenty of players that uh, that I find can do that. And uh, then, you know, it's just a decision whether the player is going to come to our school. Uh, some elect to bypass college and go to junior hockey in Canada, which would be like a you know baseball player, you know, electing this after high school to sign with the Red Sox. Uh, but we also have a number of players that say, you know, I'm looking for an education in hockey. I want to have a combination, and uh, if the right players say yes in March, you're probably going to be a pretty good club the next year. That, that's great. Uh, it sounds like, um, I mean, the, the people that I've talked to, the college coaches who really love recruiting, love meeting people. They love meeting kids and, and uh, developing a relationship with them. Oh, Jim, it's, it's a people business. I mean, it's, it's something you're not going to be in a cubicle and just work with numbers or, you know, work with your computer. It's You've got to be enjoy it because otherwise uh, you're not going to last in this profession very long. It's uh, some demanding hours and, you know, uh, it's a result-oriented business. And uh, But first and foremost, it's a, it's a people business. You've, you've got to enjoy people. And I remember growing up, I was one of 10 children and I <laughs> learned pretty quick uh, how to share things. And I think with coaching, it's the same thing. It's, it's sharing your enthusiasm. It's sharing the pursuit of a trophy. It's... Uh, sharing a pursuit of our championship. And it's a lot of fun when uh, you get the right people on the boat. Well, you, you mentioned if you're going to stick with it for any length of time, you got to enjoy it. Your captain, Tommy Cross, described you as positive, calm, and collected. Uh, I think a lot of college and professional coaches uh, would not get any one of those three, <laughs> positive, calm, and collected. And, uh, you know, uh, Jack Parker, coach at BU, said you're always calm on the bench. And this quote really struck me, almost soothing to your players when things go wrong. Um, is that is that your normal way of being, or do you actually have to work at being calm and soothing when things go wrong? Well, I, I think, uh, you know, that's probably when you, one of the first questions you asked me, Jim, was what about when you were 26 and 27? What did you learn that you'd like to have done? Well, you know, I used to get so excited with, a call in a game, you know, a referee call that, you know, it was actually uh, detrimental to your team because now you're focused on 
a flag that's thrown, a whistle that's blown, and you've lost control of your your bench of, for for a while. It's not just a minute. You get so excited, and and the game's going on. And uh, I think, you know, to be a captain of a ship, you you got to be. Sometimes it's turbulent turbulent water out there. And you just got to kind of uh, stay calm, stay focused, and you know the. Uh, Referees are going to make some mistakes, and what are you going to do about it? You I was a referee a long time ago when I first got out of college, and it's a hard sport, but I see some coaches get so out of whack with a, a call uh, uh, that I've really tried to learn from when I was coaching earlier about trying to stay calm. Because your players will get excited too, and, and they'll start losing focus. Our, our goal is to, you know, that next shift's the most important shift you're going to have. and uh, So I try to stay uh, poising and, and uh, know what's going on during the, during the course of the game. You know, you've also been described as a relentless optimist. Um, how do you stay so positive all the time? Well, I don't think there's an option there, you know, uh, especially if you want to be a, a you know, a, a friend. Because if you have friends that are always pessimistic and always worried about this and that, you know, you're going to be drawn to that type of uh feeling so i i've always uh you know been upbeat and i think it's a it's an important asset for all people to have and uh you know, i try to surround surround myself with people that you know think uh you know tomorrow's gonna be a great day and we're gonna go after it and uh i think it's a healthy way to live and certainly uh there's been enough written about that over the years that uh, you know i subscribe to anything that's that's positive in that respect yeah, that's great. Well, uh, you know, you think about friends, you don't, <laughs> it's it's hard to be friends with somebody who's bringing you down all the time. So I, I really like that connection you made from sports to, to life outside of sports. Oh, no question. Yeah, life's hard enough as it is. Uh, you know, we're all going to have problems. We're all going to have uh, hurdles. And, uh, you know, your circle of friends, uh, you, you can choose those people. And uh, you want a really good, tight circle that has excited about life and excited about just getting up in the morning and going to work or going to play golf or doing something, you know? Yeah, that's great. Um, your associate head coach, uh, Mike Cavanaugh, said you basically have one rule, don't embarrass the program. Um, why do you think just having one rule covers everything you need to cover? You know, I, I think really early in my coaching career, I understood that our <clears throat> Players want discipline. They they want someone in control of the, of the team. Uh, you know, and if you try to sit down and say, you know, uh, I deal with mostly players eighteen to twenty-two. If you had a list of things they 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 should do, a list of things they shouldn't do. Uh, I mean, you could be writing a book on that. It'd be uh, you know an incredible number of rules. Uh, and and as the decades have changed, everybody says, hey, it's it's, it's harder now. You know, it's more. Hey, it's always been uh, choices that we all make, you know. Uh, and you know, some embarrass our people, and some some bring a lot of uh, positive feedback to people. And I think with our players, whether it's you know uh, going to school and being respectful, or you know being in a dining room and you're you're conscious of the people that work there, as far as uh, the cooks, the the cashiers, are. Uh, you know, I, I think our, all that reflects back on yourself as a person, and then if you're part of a team, reflects back on our team. So, you know, you can say, you know, 
we don't want you to take steroids. We don't want you to take marijuana. We don't want you to, uh, to you know, break curfews. I mean, there could be a thousand rules, but if you could just have the player sit down and think that, uh, you know, if this is going to embarrass that team, I shouldn't do this. And there's going to be consequences if it embarrasses the team. Uh, I often thought we, we bring in a lot of guest speakers to our to our team, Jim. And uh, George McPhee, who's a general manager of the Capitals, came in one time a few years ago and said that he's always thought that, you know, when you have a choice to make, you know, whether it's 11 o'clock at night or 3 o'clock in the morning, your choice has to be, hey, if I have to call my mother about this, what would she say? And then you usually make the right choice. You know, it strikes me that uh, don't embarrass the program is actually harder to live up to than uh, living up to a whole bunch of rules. You know, it might be because it, it involves a lot of different things when you start breaking it down and thinking about it. Uh, you know, you're sleeping through uh, 8 o'clock class in the morning and you're, you're disrespecting the, the professor. You're, you're cheating yourself from, uh, you know, getting a real quality education uh, now you add on, a, you know, that is an embarrassment to our team. So that's part of the, uh, I think you're right. That's probably, uh, <laughs> maybe I'll stay with that rule. I like that. <laughs> what, what values do you try to instill in your players uh, at the beginning that, that helps them uh, live up to that rule? You know, I think the, the thing we stress the most is be a good teammate. I think that's uh, the one really uh, standard that is, that is so important to us here at BC. Uh, and if you can be a good teammate, so people think about you, uh, Jim, as hey, someone that's trustworthy, someone that's all, – all that would entail being a good teammate, someone that's going to put the team above above themselves, someone that's going to, you know, really be a good friend when I need them, or, you know, not just the two hours we're here at the rink, but other times. Uh, so I, I think that's really, really important. Uh, if you can live up to being a good teammate uh, – and sometimes we ask our players, uh, probably every once, well, maybe not every year, but uh, a number of times, to write up the qualities of a good teammate. You know, what what are your impressions? What, if you had to write down, you know, what's a good teammate? Then we kind of share all those and come up with our Charlie, Charlie the Eagle, I think we called him. That, look, here are the qualities he has. And it could be 30 different qualities that players have come up with. And I think it's a pretty good concept. That's a that's a great uh, a great tool to use the players to have them write down the the qualities of a good teammate. We had a stall once with the name, but uh, I think it was Jolly. So, but he had a stall. We put all the equipment in. That was his name. That was he sat in that stall. So uh, got to use some imagination with that. You know, two of your national championships came the year after losing in the finals, one to my alma mater, the University of North Dakota. You lost to them in two thousand, then came back and beat them in two thousand and one. How do you use for the for the underclassmen who come back the next year? How do you use that experience to to motivate them for the following year? I think with with BC hockey, we look at you know our, our beam plot. We look at a, like a regular season championship. Uh, we call that the Britannia Trophy here. It's not a name on it, but we kind of I hate the word regular season championship. And so we use our commissioner's name, and then we have a playoff championship named after Lou Lamorello. Our a high successful GM of the Devils, and then of course our national championship. And but when you set those sights that high and you don't reach them, you've got to be ready for you know uh, disappointment. But if you don't set your goals high, you know I, I think you're cheating ourselves. So uh, on those six years we've lost the you know the final game, 
you know, it's hard because to be the last team standing, you know, you talk about 58 teams, so you take pride in that, but you still say, geez, you know, we've come so far with national championship game, and, uh, you know, before we won in 2001, we had three straight frozen four appearances where we came up empty, empty-handed, but we're not really empty-handed because we, we gained a lot of maturity, we gained a lot of, you know, until you play in that big stage, it's it's hard to imagine, uh, you know, what it feels like, so... Uh, and, you know, just thinking about the championship yesterday, the golf I was watching, that uh, Kevin now was talking about, hey, I'm not a weekend golfer. And a lot of people can't understand the, the pressure that I have when I get ready to hit a golf shot. And he's talking about his, his pre-shot routine. But, uh, you know, until you get to that frozen four, you really don't understand, you know, uh, uh, the, mag- the magnitude of that situation. And uh, I think that helped us the next year win that championship. So I think we learned a lot from losing you know, to North Dakota, and sure enough, Jim, they're there the next year, too, and uh, we win an OT, so that was kind of a neat experience. We we talk about a responsible coach as part of this Liberty Mutual program having two goals. One goal is try to win on a scoreboard. Second, use sports to teach life lessons, and I, I feel like you just articulated a life lesson, which is, you know, set high goals. The, the higher goals you set are going to help you achieve more, but they also you're more likely to be disappointed if you set high goals. So set, learning to set high goals and then deal with the disappointment when you sometimes don't reach them, that's a life lesson. Oh, no question. And, uh, you know, not this, this past year we just finished, but the year prior uh, we had a season-ending banquet and, you know, we, we played for four major trophies and we won three of them. And we have them up on the, you know, a podium there, uh, the head table and, and – uh, our players come up and they were almost apologizing. Geez, we couldn't win that last one. And, uh, you know, that's, that's probably some of the situation when you set really high goals and you don't win that last game. Uh, but I think it pushes us and hardens us and makes us better. And, uh, we didn't apologize for it. We said, Hey, the other team was better. We, we, we we've got a, you know, it was no, it wasn't a referee's call. It wasn't the ice conditions. Uh, they were better than we were. And, uh, that pushes you. And, you know, some of our, players graduate and you know they look back and and push some of our our, you know returning players hey we couldn't get it done we want you to get it done and we've got a great family here of players that have even four or five years after graduation 10 years after graduation they're sending emails they're they're reaching back and trying to be mentors to our players here that's fantastic you know um you got the spencer penrose trophy as the division one coach of the year really early in your career. Um, what kind of impact did that have on you getting it so early? I probably never should have got it back then. I was just a young puppy, and, you know, we had a, a, a really good year at, at Clarkson. Uh, Dave Taylor, who's now in the Hall of Fame for uh, the NHL, was an unbelievable player, and we kind of rode his uh, uh, efforts to a, you know, a really good year. But uh, I look back at... You know, and Coach of the Year is a funny. Uh, Bob Johnson, who I've admired for so many times, uh, I thought back to how he coached with, at Wisconsin and the National Hockey League and, and her books at Minnesota and the U.S. Olympic teams, and they never won a Coach of the Year award. It just, it's it's uh, unfathomable that uh, during that stretch that I would have won it when I was 28 or 29, and they'd never uh, received a trophy. So uh, we always tell our players that, you know, our goal is a trophy. It's not all Americans, Hobie Baker's coach of the years. And so we really try to strive to, 
you know, focus on that. And if make it a team thing. Yeah, no, no question. We're, we had a great situation one time. We had Brian Gianto, I talked about before, one of my favorite players of all time, and uh, we were in a Frozen Four, and the Hobie Baker Award is going to be announced in between the semifinals and the finals, and we just beat Michigan on a Thursday night for the semifinals. Now we're going to play a national tournament game uh, in two days, but I know the next day there's going to be the presentation, and Ryan Miller is going to receive our Heisman Trophy, which is our Hobie Baker. And deservedly so, a terrific player, a goaltender for Michigan State. But, you know, I knew Brian Johnson was in the mix, and uh, right after the win against Michigan, I, I said, I've got to address this because I can't have a young guy crushed about not winning a, a major individual award. And so when I started talking about now tomorrow, guys, we're going to learn about this Hobie Baker Award. And, it's, and just before I could get to it, Brian stands up and says, hey, coach, I'm not interested in two trophies. I've, I came here to win one trophy, and that's a national championship trophy. And he kind of knew just by my, uh, probably my tone of my voice what I was going to say. And uh, so that was a, something that has been an indelible mark in all our programs. And we, we talk about it an awful lot that, you know, here's a guy that probably should have won a Hobie Baker trophy, but he, he wanted to win a national championship trophy. Uh, so that was a great experience for me as a coach to have a player like that. I see why you would uh, he'd be one of your favorites. You know, we talk about uh, athletes having the opportunity to elevate the game by the way they play, and he sounds like someone who elevated the game. We have one trophy out here, Jim, uh, in front of our athletic complex. It's a Doug Flutie statue, and it's it's great because what he's done. And I'm pushing like heck to get a Brian Gianta statue. I think that's uh, something that's inevitable, and we'd love to do that. Well, that's great. Um, last question. Uh, hockey has big hits just like football does. A lot of talk recently in the NHL and NFL about concussion issues. Um, a lot of the people who are going to be listening to this interview are going to be sports parents. And um, what any advice you can give them about uh, keeping their kids safe in sports, hockey in particular? Yeah, you know, it's uh, the contact sports are... You know, whether it's baseball and someone's throwing a, uh, you know, baseball of 9,500 miles an hour and, or, you know, basketball when you go up for a rebound and fall and it's a hard floor. It's always so, it's, it's inherent situations that it's going to be a tough, tough sport and uh, things are going to happen. But I don't think a day goes by here that we, we as coaches don't talk to our players about respect for the other player. Uh, and a lot of concussions happen in our particular sport, hockey, when you hit a player from behind, he goes face first into the boards. And, you know, we really try to drill that. If we see numbers, you know, if you can see that number on the back of the player's jersey, you've got to let up. You know, he's not going to score a goal. It's not a life, uh, not a situation that can affect the game. He's, gotta, he's going into the boards, and you've got to pull up and respect your opponent because if you don't do that, uh, you know, the consequences are concussions, and we've seen too many of them. Uh, I love what the National Hockey League is doing now, suspending players that that clearly have taken advantage of someone in a vulnerable position. So uh, now, just like driving an automobile, there's, there's, there's an inherent risk when you get behind a wheel. But uh, with hockey, if we can, we can take away that hit from behind, that's one of the key, key things here, uh, uh, that respect for the other person, whether it's a teammate, whether it's an opposing player, or, or, but we keep our fingers crossed every day that, you know, 
we have a good practice, nobody gets hurt. We have a good game, nobody gets hurt, and we play to the best of our ability. But yeah, it's a hard line here. There's, there's too many concussions uh, for us. One of the phrases that we teach coaches is fierce and friendly. You know, when the whistle blows, boy, you're you're at it. You're all in. You're trying to, everything you do to go win, but you don't demonize your opponent. Um, and I, th I think I, I love what you said about respect for, for the other players and um, you know not hurting people. So you know, Jim, an interesting uh, in that vein. We had Terry Francona talk to our, our our team during the winter here, and somebody asked him about. Uh, Derek Jeter, you know, what were your thoughts on Jeter as a player? Because we've got a lot of Yankee fans that come to uh, BC and a lot of Red Sox fans. We're always kind of interested because in he's an icon now. He said, the thing about Jeter is that, and you probably don't even notice it, guys, but when, at the first at-bat he comes up to at-bat, he'll tip his hat to the opposing bench. And it's just something he does to acknowledge the fact that, hey, I respect your team, but I'm also going to try as hard as I can to beat you, but it's it's that type of atmosphere he brings to the game. So it's just a little, it's almost indistinguishable because he just takes his visor and tips it and says to the other team, hey, I'm here to play, I respect you, but let's compete. And I think that's something that our players will kind of, hey, that's something we should be able to do with the other teams. You know, I just, I, I, I admire so much what you've accomplished and also the way you accomplish it. So, Jerry, I want to thank you for taking the time today. I know you're heading off to the uh, Fenway to have your team honored by the Red Sox today. Uh, thank you for taking the time to uh, share your wisdom with responsible sports listeners. Uh, I think there's going to be lots and lots of athletes, coaches, parents out there who are going to get a lot from this interview. So thank you very much. Great. Thanks, Jim. Have a good evening, huh? To learn more about responsible sports, including downloading valuable tools on how you can help youth athletes stay positive in youth sports, visit ResponsibleSports.com. You'll find helpful responsible sport parenting and responsible coaching guides, downloadable tools and worksheets, and advice from leading youth sports experts. Music for this podcast has been generously provided by APM Music.